Welcome to the Project Future podcast for people looking to launch and build their own amazing business with me, Rob Kerr. A few years ago, I asked myself, how can people considering starting a business be confident they are making the right decision and how can they improve their chances of success? The answer has become my book titled Project Future, Six Steps to Success as Your Own Boss. A Facebook group called the Project Future Club, where we support each other to launch and build our own amazing businesses. And this podcast, where every Tuesday, a business owner shares their story, including great tips about what to do and what not to do when launching or growing a business to empower you to make better decisions on your own journey. You'll find the show notes and transcripts at robkerr.co.uk. So in these uncertain times, if starting a business could be the right option for you and your family, read the book, join the Facebook group and enjoy the show. Now let's move on to this week's episode. Hello and welcome to episode 10 of the Project Future podcast. It's the first milestone for us reaching double figures and I've been delighted with the response so far. The range of stories and businesses we've been able to showcase has been everything I hoped it would be and I hope you're getting inspiration from the show. This is only the start though. Please subscribe, like, review and share with anyone in your network who you think would enjoy listening. It will help us to help them. In today's episode, I talk with my old friend Ryan Edwards. I've known Ryan since our university work placement year at IBM in 2004. I've holidayed with him and even stayed at his apartment in Barcelona. Ryan also shares part of his story in my book, Project Future. In this episode, Ryan talks us through how he set goals, but hasn't been afraid to make big decisions when his goals have changed. He explains how he's made use of his network, and indeed how his network have made use of him, as he's found his niche and developed solutions his customers want. He focuses on innovation and redefining how it can be achieved in the global community we live in. Let's have a listen. Hi Ryan, welcome to the show. Hey Rob, good to be here. Yeah, it's great to speak with you and all the way from Barcelona as well. So that, I think that's an interesting starting point. So I'd love you to tell us a bit about your background and how you got to be in Barcelona in the first place. Okay, yeah, I mean, probably can guess from the accent, I'm not Spanish. <laughs> I am from the UK. Uh, grew up all over the UK. Dad was uh, in the Royal Air Force, so we moved around a lot. Spent a few years growing up in Cyprus and Germany and and uh, I guess I got that bug of of wanting to to travel and 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 experience new cultures and that's lived with me and, and also sunshine as well so I, I ended up studying some time in in Brisbane Australia and after I graduated um, moved to Thailand actually uh, to be an English teacher the idea really was to have a a long paid uh, vacation but it actually worked out that I had to really work hard and a bit of cultural shock which was good for me so yeah really enjoyed the uh, travel that's why I think I ended up in Barcelona uh, as well trying to escape again the UK uh, towards some sunshine so moved here about nine years ago and uh, not looked back I kind of got stuck here the idea was as I'll tell in my story I guess the idea was to try and get back out to Asia maybe uh, Southeast Asia where my dad lived for for a long time but yeah I ended up getting stuck here in Barcelona and you went there through work, didn't you? So you, you went to Barcelona yeah. firstly as an employee. Exactly. So I, had, um, I was living in Thailand as an English teacher, as I mentioned, and realized that I love living abroad, but I don't want to be an English teacher. Um, and I'd actually spent a year uh, a placement in my degree at IBM, which is where I met you, Rob, which was a pleasure. Absolutely. We had a good time down there in Basingstoke. Uh, good memories. Learned a lot. Unforgettable. 
my first trip to Barcelona actually was with you on that uh, after we met shortly after meeting in Basingstoke at IBM. It was. I, I could say I introduced you to the place, but I won't give myself the credit. <laughs> it's partly true. It's partly true. Uh, so yeah, after after uh, Thailand, um, realizing that I liked the corporate work culture at IBM, but I don't want to be. I want to be abroad, but I don't want to be an English teacher. I went back to the UK and found a, a company called Cargill, which was in the rural part of Lincolnshire, which is where I kind of partly grew up. Uh, but it was this big corporate giant I'd never heard of. They're a huge agricultural commodity firm, you know. In all the foods we eat, there's something from Cargill, basically. And um, I spent some time, I spent 10 years there and ended up working my up um, in sales and marketing and ending up leading the marketing innovation team in Europe. And and during my time there, though, the whole move was, yeah, I want to work in this corporate environment. I want to progress, but I don't want to live in the UK. So finally, to being there in the UK office uh, for four years in a European role, I managed to get this move to Barcelona with the company. And it's just been so eye-opening to to work across the whole of Europe. I think we we're working across 17 countries um, and seeing how each country's culture impacted how they work um even on the same task that fascinated me and this diversity of of fresh perspectives from different people based on their background based on their learning their experience their beliefs their culture and how that can you know bring new learnings and 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 really drive innovation which is what i ended up uh, focusing on at cargill was was how to to innovate in that company um, so i kind of found yeah i found like i discovered a secret there of of by bringing together different people, you can actually uh, drive new innovation, which sounds obvious, but often you see in innovation uh, departments, which which to myself already is strange to have a, a department focused on innovation, whereas I think everyone can have great ideas and can, can um, come together to drive innovation. So um, I think that's one of the things that we, we work on a lot now is, is trying to help organizations think differently. And the best way to do that is, is diversity. That's really interesting, isn't it? How you've taken that that aspect of your role, and that's something that's that's kind of stayed with you as you've developed. So no, that's it's, it's a really interesting angle that you've that you've taken there. So what happened after Cargill? Did did you you you've stayed in Barcelona clearly, but yeah, what 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 was the where were you there, and where did you decide to to move on? So I had a I had a a dream throughout my whole time at Cargill. I say in the in the book actually, uh, in the Project Future book, I mention about um, how I had this early realization. Oh, I was starting to earn money. I was motivated by money and status and growth, and I went and bought this BMW, right? And um, realized after three four days that uh, I'm bored of it. It's just as, it's just as good as my old car actually, which was a Peugeot three hundred seven. In some ways, actually missing the car. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh, why? Maybe this is not my real dream. This is why my maybe money isn't the motivation. Um, and and a similar thing happened as I worked through my time at, at Cargill. I had this focus on I want to be back in Asia. I love Southeast Asia, and a big important office there was Singapore. And so part of the move to Barcelona was to enable the final move to to Asia. Um, and as I grew in that career, and it, and you know, I started doing more projects over there, and and I. I started uh, falling in love with Barcelona, but also different uh, culture. I came to the end. I came to this time in Cargill where they actually offered me a job in Singapore, the dream job. I was going to be head of marketing for Asia Pacific. It was like this is this is what I've been working for for the previous eight nine years. So super exciting. But at the same time, through my network, uh, which I'm sure I'll talk about more uh, and the importance of network, I found two new opportunities outside of Cargill came to me, and 
the easy thing to do would have been just to continue at Cargill. I had a great job offer, good money, in a place that I thought I wanted to be. You know, I've been working towards Singapore for the previous nine years. That was the whole game plan. Well, that's the thing. It wasn't. It wasn't just any offer. It was the. It was the offer that you've been working towards. I think that's 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 a really key aspect of of, of this part yeah. of the conversation. Is that 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 was the whole aspiration. So so Absolutely. what were the other what were the other offers that that came in at the same time? Yeah. Um, and as you exactly that though, you know, I used to talk about it all the time. I'm going to go back to Asia, and and I, mm. but I want to do it in the corporate way. You know, that was the whole reason I left Asia was I already had the dream location, but was teaching English. So finally, I had the the offer I wanted, which was the big corporate job in the exact location I wanted to be. But yeah, through my network, um, uh, I got a connection in in South Spain, uh, a guy called Henrik Stam, who who runs a successful food company there, who contacted me and said he would like me to to explore an opportunity to run one of his subsidies uh, as a startup uh, in any place that I want and, and to run it independently in any way that I want. It was an amazing offer. And then the other, the other opportunity was someone that inspired me a lot in my time at Cargill. He was an external trainer called Arma Jabri, someone I'm still very connected to now, a good friend of mine. I, I grabbed him after sort of nine days of training over a six-month period on something called the High, high Performance uh, Leadership, I think it was called. And, and I said, I love what you do and I want to know more. Uh, and he actually opened his world to me and, and took me for a week to Germany to do a corporate training for DHL. Um, just to show me what it was he did and, and let me shadow him. And the idea was was that, you know, I could actually um, uh, do a partnership with him and, and work with him and, and become kind of a freelancer myself doing what he does together. So suddenly I had the Cargill offer, which was easy and, and I, I'd always thought I wanted. I had this opportunity to become a sole trader or partner with Armour uh, as, as a, and, and learning from someone I think is the best at what he does probably in the world. Or to run my own kind of startup, but be financed by someone else. Uh, and these three things were on the table. And it was a very confusing time. I can imagine. And quite exciting as well at the same time, though, because yes. you, I, I dare say you would have been happy with any of the outcomes. That's right. For me, it was quite clear that Singapore was what I was going to do. So uh, I, before just jumping on the plane, though, I did actually have a leaving party here in Barcelona because I'd more or less said to those in Singapore, I'm coming. But uh, I really sat down with my mentor. Uh, and he gave me some great advice, which is, look, simple Excel sheet, write the free offers and everything they involve, and then write what you care about, what really matters. Things like location, your boss, uh, what you're going to work on in that role, the challenge, the growth, um, where that role could take you in three to five years. Just write it down and then give each one of those things a waiting. And that was the key was to, to wait those things. So I've been treating them more equally in my mind and never and to actually just physically write this down and give the importance rating to each of those factors that I cared about I kind of did a uh, yeah a calculation really gave each one a weighting each thing a score and it became really clear that the thing I wanted to do was to be to, to run a startup to have that experience which was the one that I gave the less the least uh, thought to to be honest in in this consideration before I did the excel sheet that's really interesting, and and I love a spreadsheet, as as you know, as a as a project manager, we <laughs> we we fall back to them, but yeah, it's, I, I love that angle and and the weighting of your values effectively, and exactly. and where you wanted to go in the longer term. So the the Singapore option, which was you say you were you were ready to go, that maybe would have been the right thing for a couple of years. But what was it about the about the startup option that really appealed to you? Great question. Basically, the Singapore option, I realised was the easy option. It was a copy and paste. 
talking about Excel and so on. It was copy and paste. It was do what you've done in Europe for Cargill, but now do it in Asia. And, and that was exciting because, you know, new cultures, which I'm passionate about, and I was going to live, you know, three months in Kuala Lumpur, three months in Ho Chi Minh, three months in Bangkok, Jakarta, and then, and then finally base myself in Singapore. It was incredible opportunity. Mm. But it was basically take all the great things we'd done in Cargill Europe and replicate them in, in Southeast Asia. And I thought, oh, you know what? I don't know if that's exciting enough for me. Other than in work, you know, we spend a big time out of our office, time in the office working. Yep. Um, but it was still a great offer. It wasn't that it was bad. But I just realized that the attraction of running a whole business, not just a marketing innovation department, which was already a lot of responsibility, but doing something completely new and running the whole business on, on somebody else's risk, really, was something that I couldn't pass up. It's fascinating and quite quite rare, I, I dare say, to be offered that that type of opportunity to to almost have a, a, a soft landing. It's another thing that we talk about briefly in the book, isn't it? But mm-hmm. I, I think to, to to have that kind of soft landing as an entrepreneur and to and, and to be learning on the job, uh, but as a, as an employee, uh, effectively. So so how did it go? You know, when when you started, what were your expectations, and how did it fit with those expectations? <laughs> my expectation I, you know I'm, I'm a positive guy and optimistic um, I had no idea how hard and demanding it would really be um, to, to come in more or less on a, well it wasn't even a blank sheet the, the organization I took over had existed already a couple of years but it, it wasn't successful and, and we wanted a new way of doing things he wanted to spin it off you know that's why he gave me the opportunity to to run it from, I decided Barcelona. I actually came back here, <laughs> the place that I'd always seen as a stepping stone. I, I changed my whole perspective and realized that no, this is where I want to live. It's my home. So again, I updated my dream just to come back to that. The, the BMW story was the same as Singapore. I thought Singapore was the dream and it wasn't. Um, so I realized I wanted to be in Barcelona and I wanted to take this challenge on. And um, yeah, the, the challenge was reinventing myself. You know, I've gone from being inside an organization where everyone kind of more or less knew me and I knew how the organization worked to suddenly having to decide by myself what should be done here. Right from the the purpose, the scope, the structure to how does this organization operate. Uh, at that time, it was me alone in the organization, supported by the larger company in the background, their marketing, their HR, their finance, and to build that organization out. And it was a hugely daunting task. I remember sitting in in a co-working space i had found and just sort of thinking well what do i do first i mean there's so many things to do to build a company where do you start it's like i guess trying to write your book you know how do you get where do you what do you, what do you start with there's a, it's a huge mindset shift as well you're sort of having you know ha- having that blank sheet of paper and you know, trying to try and to prioritize tasks well firstly to know what the main tasks are and then to try and exactly. prioritize them it's a it's, it's a huge challenge and, and something that all entrepreneurs have to have to have to work out but it gets easier i, I think you know mm-hmm. I, I, having gone going through that thought process and and having a few iterations of that it, it, it gets easier and there's a bit of trial and error in there in, in terms of yeah. what works what doesn't what probably shouldn't have been a priority and so it, it's uh yeah starting is the key thing uh, I, think, I think in that aspect exactly and I, I realized that i was the company that's why they'd hired me um i think it was a i had to find that confidence in myself again that they had chosen me to run this because they believed in me um and, and the learnings I'd had at Cargill and the network that I had and, and how I wanted to run things. So I said, you know, this is your opportunity. Do it your way. 
So I, I looked at myself, uh, all that work I'd done in choosing to take this opportunity. I'd been considering, as you said, my values, what were they? So I put them back that Excel, back in front of me, and thought, you know, why not shape this company in my kind of image, if you like, of what I believe in terms of values? And then that led me to what I think could be the purpose of this organization. So I used lots of tools. I tried to start there from the top of what's the purpose, what's my values, and then what's the opportunity in the market, um, and, and where can we place ourselves. And, and this wasn't just me by myself. This was me testing this with people, people that know me, people that didn't know me who were in that space, um, asking people to challenge me, my, my thoughts, uh, to get clarity, and then testing that throughout. So it was very much iterative process of, okay, I think this should be our purpose. This is where we should go. Is there a need for this in the world? Um, and one of the things I, um, I love is this Ikigai process. Uh, I think you talk yes. about it also in the book as... Um, I do. Uh, yeah, so this... Finding the sweet spot. All about that sweet spot, exactly. So this was coming back to me. It come back to me, my decision over, is it, is it, is it Cargill or is it, um, is it the startup? And, and, I, and there, that was about sweet spot um of you know what uh you'll have to help me here rob but it, you know what am i good at what does the world need what can i get paid for and yep. the other one what do i love what do i love exactly it's the key one in many respects that, absolutely <laughs> and and I, and and this is not something that's static right this is something that as you evolve and as your organization evolves and as the environment around you evolves you've got to keep on revisiting uh so at that time i tried to find that sweet spot and i realized that I can't do this alone. And this was the, a really big step for me. I thought, I need quality people around me who are going to challenge me, who are going to support me. And I then went on this journey of trying to find the right people. <laughs> this was a really big moment uh, in the organization. So the first thing I did was I planned what the roles were I needed. I think there was three roles I needed and um, based on how to structure the company. And I, I naively put them on LinkedIn. You know, I made them sound really cool and jazzy. And I think each role, we had over 700 applicants. <laughs> That's remarkable. And so yeah. just, to touch on that, just to touch on that, so mm -hmm. the, the founder, the owner, he was, he was okay with the, the budget for, for those things? Yeah. Was... Before I joined the company, this is what the budget, well, I told him what the budget was. Again, I was very high level. I, I don't know how I came up with it. It was basis, you know, bottom up. Uh, and he accepted. I wish I'd asked for more, actually, <laughs> for the budget. He accepted <laughs> the first budget, very generous. Uh, so yes, and and then he was very hands off. To be fair, it was like once once you're on board, once you agree the budget, that's yours. You've got it for the year. Uh, go and do what you need with it. Go make it work. Yeah, uh, yeah. interesting. So so you put the the three roles on on LinkedIn. Yeah, and and uh, and as soon as I saw there was these many applicants, I just thought, okay, forget that. <laughs> Sorry to all those applicants, but ignore. I'm not going to go through them. Um, so I, I thought, let, look again. If people believe in these values, and I believe in my own values and what I'm trying to do, and, and they've, they've given me this trust in this organization, then clearly the people around me are people who I trust um, and maybe have similar values. So if I'm trying to find those types of people, let's talk to the people in my network. So I literally opened up my, my smartphone, went through my list and thought, noted those people I'd like to work with. Like this guy, yeah, this guy, yeah, this girl, maybe. This guy, definitely not, you know, basically just did a list of, of my contacts and thought, who would I be interested in working with? And then a second filter of who might be interested or, or suitable for sort of these roles. I think I ended up with 20 names uh, and I kind of okay. reached out to those 20 people who are, who are basically friends, people I know really well. I've got trust with, they trust me and, and explained the situation and, and found out through filtering again, those that were interested, it was the right moment for them. 
and, and I got down to, I think it was six people. And other people have been telling me, you're crazy. Do not work with your friends. You know, they're your friends. They're not your colleagues. And it can lead, it's a huge risk. You could destroy your friendship over going into a startup founder kind of partnership with these people. Um, so it's not worth the risk. I like risk. It's something that, you know, I, I believe in, in my ideas, in what I'm trying to do. So I thought, let's explore it. But I accepted it was risky. So what I did at this stage with the six people, if I remember correctly, was I handed it over to a HR person. And, and I said to the HR person, look, this is what I'm looking for. Uh, but I think for me, for the owner, the guy with the money, and for the candidates, I think this process should now be done without me being in the middle of it. So you can all explore things fairly, openly, ask each other the right questions, challenge one another. And it's not me being biased on trying to just choose a friend. Let's see these people really are qualified and let the people see if this is really an organization that they want to join. I think that's really sensible to get, to get that third party and you know unbiased involvement. I, I think that's a really, really interesting point. It was so important. It gave everyone confidence. And, and through that, we, we found the, the three people that, that wanted to join, that I was happy to have on board and that the, the owner um, was, was satisfied with as well. Um, it just gave everyone that belief, that confidence, and let's do this. And, and one of the people, he left um, Siemens in Japan. You know, he's a British guy. He'd been, he moved to Japan. He loved Japan, Tokyo. And he made you know, this huge commitment to leave that and come and join us here in Barcelona on this journey. It was the right moment for him. Um, wow. And it was a, like a huge responsibility for me. You know, these three people all left their, their careers to come and join me on this journey. So that was suddenly a big realization as well in that moment. That, okay, wow, this is suddenly a lot of responsibility for, for that I care a lot about. Yeah, no, that, that's, that's fascinating. And, and you know, it's, it, it changes the whole perception of it, doesn't it? It's like it's not just you anymore, You've, <laughs> you know, or, or indeed strangers. You know, there's, that, that must have brought a huge amount of responsibility on you to make sure that it works. It did. And I'm a guy who likes to have a lot of fun. I believe that fun actually is a good business thing. If you're having fun, you're being creative, you create a positive psychological safety atmosphere environment to work in so we all got together in barcelona and started working and this is a fun place to be as well and they're, they're fun people and i think we had to <laughs> be careful that we weren't just hanging out that we were actually doing some work um so uh, that was something we needed to put in place some guidelines early on and we did and the first day we used i asked them all to do some psychometric testing i don't know if we used mbti um, or, or something like that at the time to test our profiles and how we want to work together. And we use a tool called Team Designed Alliance to say, you know, what are our strengths? What are our areas of development? What do we like and dislike about how we work? And try to create, you know, the using our values, what is the working environment we want to have? How do we want to work together? How can we respect one another? An example being that I, like, I wake up early um, and I like to work early. Uh, the other guys, they preferred to come in at like, I think it was 10 a.m. They'll kill me for saying this. Um, they, they were quite happy to, to jog on in at 10 a.m. And, and that was cool. That's what they wanted. So I was able to get my more strategic work done in the first couple of hours before they came, maybe. And then we could work together as a team. And then they could carry on with their individual tasks once I'd gone home sort of thing. Another thing was they like to work with music on. I can't. I need silence to concentrate. So we had to work through these little things and respect one another. But um, we did work it out. 
I, I think that's absolutely fascinating, and I, I love how that you've you've looked into the psychology of things to to create the team dynamic. I, I think that's a that's a really revolutionary kind of kind of aspect to say, okay, we're a new team. What works for us, you know, and how can we make sure that we're all comfortable and happy in this environment? So I think that's a that's, that's a really revolutionary aspect there. That I think a lot of teams could could learn from. Yeah, it's so important. We've got this chance to design something from, not from scratch almost, but use your learnings and how, what you didn't like before. What were the things that you didn't like and what did you enjoy from previous experiences? And and who are people who inspired you in either a good or bad way that you can also think, I don't want to be like them or I do want to take some aspects from them. So we had that conversation, you know, and we took it very seriously. And it was the first thing we did together was create our own team designed alliance on how we're going to behave and then don't just put that in a drawer we print it off put it on the wall um, to remind us and every month or so we would look at it and say are we adhering to what we said we're going to do are we behaving in a manner we want and if not why not is is there something that's causing us um, stress something that's slowing us down should it be changed we're we being too idealistic what you know and we we tried to take that seriously about the working environment that we wanted to have yeah i love it I absolutely love it. I think you can tell that you've built some really strong foundations there to, to take forwards. So let, let's move on a bit because uh, so you're you're not there now. Um, no. So you're you're not you're not in that business now. So so where are you now and who are you working with? Yeah. So um, basically, we realised through that learning that the organisation that we were running at that time, and I tried to make it a very flat organisation. By the way, I realised from my Cargill experience, I didn't want to manage anybody anymore. So. We, we wanted to be partners. Um, of course, I had certain responsibilities. They had certain responsibilities. Uh, final decision-making was mine. But the way we worked was very flat. And we learned a lot that, hey, we're quite good at this people stuff and understanding each other and other people in our network. The whole organization was based on a, on a technology, on a platform play uh, to connect people. And like a lot of new startups now, technology is often a driving force. And we realized that journey... That, that year that we were there, that we're not really techie people. And actually, we think that people should be first. So we put ourselves in, in, in a position where we were running a, a, a technology-centered company, whereas we didn't really believe in technology first. So that drove us to, to actually create Naked Innovations, um, which, which the people that I'd brought to, to the previous organization who were previously reporting to me, even though it was trying to be a flat structure, we agreed to become partners and actually start our own organization, which was focused on people and, and how to help people drive innovation. Um, so that was, Naked, that was Naked Innovations, which I think we started about two and a half, three years ago now on this journey. And what was funny there was I, by that time, had been sick and tired of the agri-food industry. You know, I'd been working in it already uh, 12 years, I think it was. It's all I'd known since uh, since a you know, after my Thailand adventure. And I said, okay, you know what? We're starting a, uh, our own startup where we own it now. So financial pressure, we just got to be all things to all people. One side, you know, let, let's just, if there's an opportunity, let's grab it. Uh, and that was kind of how we approached it was, you know, uh, the co-founders, they came from different industries. One came from uh, Laurie Tan. He came from kind of a financial background and EU policy. Uh, Ian Dorr, who had joined us from Siemens Tokyo, he had uh, that background in energy uh, and also local government so we said let's just grab any clients we can it took us a while to realize that wasn't the best uh, <laughs> there wasn't the best approach in terms of yeah. trying to uh, to get some clients on board and it actually took ian and laurie to sit me down 
and say, you know what, Ryan, the, one of the biggest assets here is the network that you have in agri-food that you've established over, over those 12 years. And at the same time, the research shows us that agri-food is changing uh, right now because people want you know, uh, healthier food for both people and planet. So there's a lot of transformation going on, a lot of disruption. So why are we ignoring the agri-food industry? And, and that was a great realization for me as well. I, I, why am I being shy about contacting my network? You know, I, I felt like almost embarrassed um, that we're asking them for their support. But actually, the realization, once we started putting together our, another purpose and what we're trying to do at Naked Innovations to, to drive disruptive innovation, to connect different stakeholders in that industry, we realized that a lot of these um, organizations wanted that support. They needed that support. They were being disrupted, the big food companies, and, and they need help on that journey. And they want to work with people that they trust. And I happen to be one of those people over the years who've built that relationship. So don't be shy to ask for that, uh, to make that connection, to pick up the phone or send the email. It, I, I, it was a great discovery. That these people were very welcoming and wanting to work with us. So that was a huge revelation and enabled us to rescope and focus in on, okay, agri-food is our sweet spot. That's where the opportunity is. That's what we're actually passionate about and it's what we're good at. And fortunately, they pay us. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I love that. And I love how you've, you know, you've, you've worked out that networks are, are a two-way street. You know, mm. and if 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 you if you're known, liked, and trusted in a space, people they they want what you have to deliver. And and industries are changing so quickly now that the, the innovation space and and looking at, at new solutions, you know, that the, these all can't be done internally. And and yeah. so many so many startups are in a position where they they can think in a, a different way, you know, away from, from an internal team that, that may have, you know, kind of some, some different expectations or mm-hmm. they can provide a solution that, that not everybody can think of, you know, and right. the, the amount of partners, you know, in, in all those big businesses that I've worked in over the years, I, I was always amazed looking at, you know, procurement and partner sheets and how many small businesses that are, are kind of suppliers and that feed into that, mm-hmm. that business, you know, and it's, it may not seem obvious from the outside, you know, there's only one logo on the, on the side of the building, but <laughs> there are so many smaller businesses that feed into the success of a large business. And if you've got something of value and can create something of value in that space, that can really be valued highly uh, by somebody who gets to present it to their boss and say, hi, I've got this solution exactly. um, you know, <laughs> that they can, they can buy in effectively or, or have, have shaped in their aspects. Exactly. And just to jump on into that point, it it was one of my huge uh, beliefs right at the start of the story was around diversity, fresh perspective, drives innovation. And this has kind of become a value for me to surround ourselves with people with different backgrounds, different experiences. And and everything you just said relates to that. So that's why we're big believers in open innovation uh, here at Naked Innovations. And that's why these big and large organizations want to work with smaller ones because they're bringing fresh perspective they're bringing different angles new ways of doing things and that's what they need to keep on evolving and growing so yeah absolutely spot on what what you're saying there and and it's what we try to support here is to is to bring together different actors different stakeholders around common challenges so that they can bring their new perspectives and their different expertise to try and solve those challenges that that we're all facing so it's exciting when you bring different people together uh, and give them the right common language and the right tools to be able to collaborate, then you can really make an impact. And that, that's what we strive to do now. And it's what, it's what drives us. 
I love it. And, you know, it, now you're three years in and you, after mm-hmm. you had that revelation that agri-food was the right thing, mm-hmm. did you set goals for where you wanted the business to to, to get to? Because I, I think three years is a key figure that I like to quote. And you know, mm-hmm. so where is the business now three years in compared to necessarily what you were what you were expecting at the start? Yeah, um, I think the first couple of years we, we kind of evolved uh, organically. We weren't that structured in, in terms of our goal setting. Uh, it was if we can do this and uh, on a day-to-day basis and be rewarded and work with great people, uh, both in our own organization and the projects that make a difference, um, then we're happy. And that's what we were kind of doing uh, and it was happening. But we realized, I'd say, in the last year and a half that this is something much bigger than just us. So Ian uh, decided to, to take a new opportunity that came to him. And he, he via Manchester, he's now in Amsterdam uh, working in design, something that he got super passionate about, which is awesome. And we stay happily connected. And, and Laurie and I really drove Naked Innovations to the next level. But we're now surrounded by a team of about 15 people who are uh, within and around Naked Innovations as collaborators. And each of them brings their own diverse perspective, as I was saying before. And so that's made us realize, oh, there's people around us that, again, don't rely upon us, but want to work with us. And we can dream bigger. So so now it's become clear that this last year we thought, oh, COVID might impact us. Actually, it's become an opportunity, uh, fortunately for us, in terms of, again, driving new new changes in, in agri-food industry here in Europe, where we mostly focus. So we are beyond where we expected to be this year uh, in terms of growth. And we've got clear plans in the next couple of years of how we want to work with some really interesting stakeholders and in industry to make some big changes. And how is innovation done? That's what it's about for us. It's how do companies innovate, uh, both big and small and government and universities across the European landscape? Uh, and we've already begun on that journey. A big thing for us is starting with the challenge and starting with the people. Um, and we're already running some programs this last year that prove that if you rather than starting with a good idea, because who can qualify if it's a good idea, uh, or technology, if we can start with a common challenge uh, around healthier food for people or and healthier food for the planet, and then tackle those challenges with great motivated people with differing skill sets, then we can really make a difference. And that's what we're focused on. And that is what we're working on day to day, which is which is awesome. I absolutely love it what you're um you know how you've developed that and how it's taken a couple of years to to kind of get the footing and then go okay this this is where we can go and this is how we can drive forwards so I think that's uh you know moving into the kind of expand aspect I, I think exactly. that's that's absolutely amazing how you've you've looked at that and reflected on it and seen the opportunity and and aren't holding back you know you're ab- absolutely driving forwards in that way so thanks Rob yeah just on that because we what we did we put remembering now we put at the start when we decided to refocus on the agri-food industry we, we developed four offerings for the market um and they're all related to what we call you're probably familiar some people will be familiar with the design thinking so they're along the kind of innovation process of firstly understanding the macro environment and and who your end user is doing that research understanding what you re- what they really need and what you want to offer them and ideating around that and then how to actually create that you know, uh, and offer it to the market. And then once it's in the market, how to scale it, helping companies with that. And we kind of made four offerings around that, put them in the market and basically tested them. Uh, we used the whole design thinking and lean startup methodologies ourselves, took our own medicine because we, we definitely promote those tools 
to our clients uh, and to our network. Uh, so we actually took the medicine ourselves, just like we did with the creating team environment. We, we take our own medicine and do it for, for Naked Innovations internally. Uh, and by testing those four offerings in the market, we realized that there's two of them that are actually getting traction and the other two, not so much. So yeah, we, we kind of zoomed in on those and that's enabled us to, to kind of create our USP to then expand in those areas. Yeah, I wish you every success as you go Thank forwards you. because I, I think you've uh, you've you've really hit on something exciting and something important as well. So in terms of the whole what the world needs aspect, I think that's so important going forwards that that the, the food supply chain is efficient and positive and you know all of that kind of stuff. It's it's so key going forwards as as we move on through this century and beyond. So um, mm. so yeah, it's, it's it's very absolutely key. You know what you're what you're doing and how you're moving forwards with that. Thanks, Rob. We feel the same way. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad to hear it. <laughs> Brilliant. So before we finish, uh, there's always four questions that I ask every guest. So the first one is, what's the one best piece of advice you would give to somebody considering starting their own business today? It's a great question. I think, looking back, I think for me, it would be update your dreams. We can become infatuated or stuck on an idea, a dream, something that we're passionate about. And we tell ourselves that story in our head. Yeah, I want the BMW. Yeah, I want to move to Singapore. And then when you get it, you realize that's an old dream. Maybe, maybe that isn't what I care about anymore. So think about that. What really do you care about? We talked earlier about the sweet spot, Ikigai. Uh, I think that's yeah. such a great tool. So do that uh, sweet, find that sweet spot and check it. Check if it still is your sweet spot every six months or so, just, just ensure I think because if you can build your entrepreneurship journey from your sweet spot, then you're going to have success, whatever success means to you. Yeah, absolutely. That's a really great point. Uh, I think it's it's so true and it applies to so many people as well mm-hmm. that, you know, that, that, that yeah, you have this concept. But, you know, firstly, it's clarifying if it is what you expect it to be. But then also it's, it's a really great point that, yeah, things moves on your values change as as we progress mm. through different stages of our lives and exactly. and yeah to, to 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 throw yourself into something that's then out of date or instantly out of date is uh, <laughs> or, or very shortly be is you know could be a big mistake so no very well said um the second question is what do you know now that you wish you knew when you first started network we mentioned it before um something that i call circles of influence don't don't be shy of your network. Um, it's a two-way street, as you said, Rob. Um, map it out. And so there's a tool I use called Circus Influence. But yeah, understand who's in your network. What role do they play? How can you influence them? Uh, what can you offer them? Uh, what can they offer you? Not an exploitative way, you know, in a, in a friendly way. They're, they're, they'll probably be delighted that you reach out to them. And, and if you've built trust, they probably want to support you. Um, so network. And sometimes it's it's... You don't even know how the network is going to work. You reach out to one person and they connect you to someone you don't even know exists uh, and they can open the door and they have the key. So absolutely for me, it's all about understanding your network, uh, map it out um, and, and think about how to approach each of those key members in your network. Uh, you'll be amazed by what opportunities arise from it and what discoveries you find. Absolutely. And I think being clear on what you can offer them as well to to add to that you know i think that's 
that that's a key aspect to ensure that it is a kind of two-way relationship and you're not just asking for a favor you know i've yeah. i've seen so many things over the years where people have been they've had something of value to offer but they they pitch it as if they're asking for a favor and it's like this, this isn't a favor you're you're offering yeah. something of value um you know you should feel you should stand tall and and say yes i do have something of value would you like to be part of it you know it's it's a it's a very different angle to approach the question well said so um, is, is there a resource you'd recommend for those at the very start of their journey? So a book, a website, a podcast, a, anything that you've used or come across that's been really useful for you? Um, other than Project Future, of course. Um, <laughs> now, uh, one thing that I still use now uh, is something called Crystal Nose. It's based on DISC. It's similar to MBTI or HBDI, the, the psychometric testing. Seriously, for... for our emotional intelligence is so important and, and organizations are becoming more and more aware that EQ, emotional intelligence, is just as, if not more important than IQ. So discovering what your uh, style is, your values are, uh, self-reflection and also reflection on, on how, how society works around you and how you impact the people around you and how they impact you is, is vital to, to being successful, I believe. So something like a crystal nose, which is my preference, um, uh, which is based, I say, on the DISC assessment to, to get to know yourself and to get to know the people you want to work with, whether it's a supplier, whether it's a potential customer, and whether it's a potential candidate or founder, partner. It just gives you so much clarity and it's a great place to start from in building a relationship with these uh, other people. No, I love it. And and I, I think it's you know, these things don't have to be big and scary. They don't have to take weeks or months on end you know there's there's stuff that can be done in I'm not, I'm not sure about this tool specifically but these kind of things can be done in a couple of hours and the, yeah. the revelations that can can come out of it can be quite can be quite stark and quite and can indeed help to update your dreams you know going back yeah. to, to to your best advice I, I think having that that visibility um, and working out who should be around you as well to to fill in the other roles of the of the team whether it's a virtual team or a or, or a physical team in, in terms of what like you've developed yeah I, th- I think it's really great advice so finally then ryan who would you recommend as a guest on a future episode of the show um well considering my focus right now on agri food uh, and all the changes that are happening there and knowing this gentleman so well on his journey which i basically alexander hilton so he's a farmer in lincolnshire Recently, a couple of years ago, maybe more than that now, about four or five years ago, took over the family farm. Something that you won't mind me saying he was really reluctant to do. So the family farm has been in his family for generations. He didn't consider himself a farming type. We met at university 15 years ago, and it was with him that I went to Thailand with. So the opposite of farming in rural Lincolnshire. He, he jumped on that plane with me, and he escaped. And whilst I stayed for less than a year, he stayed in Thailand for eight years as an English teacher. So he was doing whatever <laughs> well, he could to escape farming. But at some point, he had to go back, uh, and he did. So four or five years ago, he's gone back to, to rural northern Lincolnshire. And his reluctance was he didn't want to do the same way of farming that he had seen his father and his grandfather do. He wanted to, to do something different. And I think it's really impressive how, what he's done with that farm and how he is progressively trying to change the way that farming's done in the UK. And, and that fits in with a wider trend of, young farmers taking over their family farms reluctantly often across Europe and in a moment that agriculture needs to change and the European Union is trying to change how agriculture is done. So I think Alex will have a very interesting entrepreneurial story, a reluctant entrepreneur, shall we say, to tell. 
So I, I think it's uh, you know it, it just shows how every industry is changing and how different viewpoints mm. are are coming in and different forces internal and external are helping to drive change across uh, the entire spectrum. So yeah, I, I'd love to speak to Alex. So yeah, look forward Great. to getting in touch and, uh, and hopefully getting him on a future episode. Um, so thank you, Ryan. It's, it's been wonderful. If, if people want to find out more about you and uh, get in touch, how can they do that? Uh, I would say go to our website, which is nakedinnovations.eu. And uh, yeah, you'll find out everything you need to about us there. And yeah, look forward to, to connecting and, 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 and hearing more of these stories as well. Fantastic. Well, thanks very much for your time today. It's been great having you on and, and, and catching up. I say we've, we've known each other a long time. So it's, uh, yeah. it's great to hear in, in, a, in a business sense everything that you've been up to. So no, thanks very much. Thank you, Rob. It's a pleasure. Congratulations on everything you're doing. Thank you, mate. Cheers. Cheers. Ciao. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. Ryan shared so many pieces of great advice. I especially like the focus he's had on his values, ensuring they're current and lived every day. Using psychometric tests and ensuring he and his team developed a working environment that was right for them also stands out. As your own boss, you can control these things. Finally, considering how partnerships and collaborations can bring fresh ideas and fresh perspectives, both for his clients and within his own business, is absolutely key for me. This is the way we work and how innovation happens. If this episode has inspired you to pursue the idea of starting your own business, start today with my three-minute quiz at robcurr.co.uk forward slash quiz. On next week's episode, I'll be sharing a two-part interview with another contributor to Project Future, parenting coach and best-selling author Elaine Halligan. The interviews were recorded 12 months apart and show how a business can develop in that time. So do tune in for that. Thank you for listening. Until next time, keep launching and building those amazing businesses that give you satisfaction and balance.